you know, Christmas season, Advent, you're, for me, I'm just thinking about that. There's a lot of thought, a lot of preparation idea. What do I, sharing, how do you share? I, I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. So then you hit this week. This is a weird week in the life of a pastor because it's, it's almost New Year, not quite. What do you talk about? What do you do? Where do you go from there? So there's some things that have been on my heart that could have been pre-Christmas sort of messages, didn't get to them, kind of share that today. I, I will give you a, a, not a confession as much as an acknowledgement, I guess, up front. What I want to share about today and, and then continue a little bit next week maybe is in process, okay? It's, it's things I'm processing, thinking through. Uh, I, I've got some conviction regarding them, but maybe not uh, to the point where it's fully worked out, actualized in my life or any of ours. We'll talk about it together, okay? Uh, here's what I want to begin with this. Just take your uh, holiday party hats off. Put your thinking caps on for a minute. I want you to think with me this morning a little bit. Rhetorical, semi-rhetorical kind of question. If I asked you, what do you think is the, what would be the greatest threat to Christianity in America today? And I won't ask you to answer that, but I would like you to think about how you might answer that. And I'm guessing in this group as well as in any group of Christians anywhere in the country, and I'm going to single out America today a little bit. We'll talk about that more as we go, but probably be a diversity of answers. I'm almost certain in any group, maybe here, someone would say, well, the, the proliferation, proliferation of Islam, that that's a big thing in the world that's a growing religion that's uh, contradicting Christianity, that, that's probably the greatest threat. Some people would probably say the decay of morality in our nation today, it's just sort of falling apart. Uh, that would be an answer. Some some people would talk about the liberal agenda, uh, gay rights, gay marriage, those sorts of things. There were probably other answers. I don't know what they'd all be. Different people would say different things. I, I think this. I, I think there's something else. And to me, there's something that, and, and here's what, I mean, I'll just, as we go. There's something so normal, so commonplace, so pervasive, so all around us, all the time, all day, every day, that I don't think we notice it, that is actually the greatest threat to our faith and to Christianity today. I, I think that we are a little bit like the proverbial frog in the kettle. And I picked a sort of a cartoonish, funny picture of that because, uh, you know, I just didn't want to have a real picture of a frog in a kettle because I think it'd be kind of mean to do that to a poor frog. But you know what? I, you know how that thing goes, right? And I don't know if this is true or not. Does anybody know if it's actually true? It is true. If you frogs are amphibians are cold blooded, so if you're in the in the cold water and you turn the heat on and the water gradually gets hotter, they won't recognize that the water's get hot, stay in there and, and boil. If you put the frog in hot water, it would know immediately it's hot and jump out. So, so I think we're a little bit like that. I think we are sort of in this kettle of boiling water, don't really recognize it. And here's what I think is the, the, the threat to, to our faith and to the working out of God's kingdom uh, around us today. 
And, and it, it, it really, and I said this is sort of a, you know, Christmas Eve sort of message, but the idea of consumerism and materialism to me is so pervasive, it's so commonplace, it's so much a part of the culture that we live in that most of us don't even recognize the degree to which we have bought into it. And I think we're a little bit like our, our frog friend here, who's he's just hunting flies, he's having a good day, it's all good. We don't really realize that the water's boiling, that the kingdom of God is being undermined all around us, and, 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 and really destroying, uh, you know, the fabric of Christianity because it just seems so normal. It just seems so. I tried to look up how many advertisements we see a day. You, you can't, there's no answer to that question because if you look at 20 different websites, they all say something different. But here's, the low figures are somewhere in the three to 4,000 range. Minimum three to 4,000 uh, advertisements that we see in various ways throughout the day, each day. High end of the spectrum was somewhere around 20,000. So somewhere in there, I have no idea. It's a lot. Um, so these things to me are, are uh, they're, they're not consistent with the kingdom of God. They're not consistent with the kingdom of God. They're not consistent with what I believe is the life that God intends. So I want to talk today about actually a disease, a disease that I think some of us are suffering from that really is a threat to Christianity in America today. Um, uh, and, and here, let me just quickly, I'm not picking on America. I'm not. I like America. I'm glad I live here. It's a nice country. Um, but here's the thing. It's where we live, right? It's, it's, it's the culture we live in. If you don't know, cultures are different. Countries are different. The way faith is expressed in different parts of the world is different. So this is where we have, it's where we're being influenced and where we have influence. It's where we live. And so that's why I'm talking about America, not necessarily picking on it as much as just it's us. It's who we are. So if you would pray with me really quick, uh, I'm going to try to make this as, as fast and painless as I possibly can. Thanks, Lord, for today and just a great time of worship. I pray you would uh, bless us and open our hearts to receive from you today and let me say things that are from you and not from me. Amen. Okay, um, two, two scriptures really quick. You guys know this, you're familiar with it, but I just wanted to bring it to mind. Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, one brief comment on that passage, and that is just this, that uh, he uses the term pagans there. And I think sometimes when we think of pagans, we think of like pagan religion. I don't know about you. I pictured a dude in a black cape out in the woods sacrificing cats or something. But really, pagan is anybody that's in context Jesus is using that's not following the kingdom of God. There's really two ways your life can go. You can go towards and with the kingdom of God or against and away from the kingdom of God. And so when he says pagans, he's really referring to anyone. They don't have to be evil, bad people, just people that are moving away from God. And that person, a person in that place in life, they will run after these things. They'll worry about these things. They'll be concerned about these things of life where someone moving towards the kingdom of God will develop a trust in God, a faith in Him, and an ability to 
believe that God will take care of that and they won't worry about those things. One more verse, Luke 14, 33. Jesus again, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Um, I pulled that verse out just by itself because on its own, it's just so powerful. One verse, you know, and I know I'm the one that always says don't take things out of context. But in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. I would encourage you, though, to read Luke 14. Jesus is talking to his followers about the cost of discipleship, about what it really means, what it looks like, what would a life look like if I followed after Jesus. And I think it would be helpful to look at that and really come to terms with um, the reality of that and, and maybe how that might differ. And for me, it's always a, a place of reflection and evaluation from how I'm currently living. So after 40 years or so in this game, I'm still trying to evaluate. What, what do I need to change? And, and so that's, I think, what Jesus is getting at there and how you might read that. So I told you I was going to talk about a disease today. The disease is this. It's called affluenza. Anybody heard that term before? A couple of you have. Not very many. Uh, I didn't make this up. That's, a, that's an actual, well, I don't know if it's an actual word or not. It's a, it, somebody thinks it is. Um, here, I'll give you a definition. This is Wikipedia. A portmanteau. Now, I had to look that up. I didn't know what that was. That's a word made of two words, in case you didn't know. I know that now. Portmanteau of affluence and influenza. So they connected those two words together. Term used by critics of consumerism, the book Affluenza, the all-consuming epidemic, defines it as a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. Here's another definition. This one's actually from the book. Uh, the bloated, sluggish, and unfulfilled feeling that results from the effort to keep up with the Joneses. Not Wayne Jones, by the way, just, the, just Joneses and Jones. So we're not, it's not your fault. I'm not blaming you for this. Uh, an epidemic of stress, overwork, waste, and indebtedness caused by the dogged pursuit of the American dream. An unsustainable addiction to economic growth. Oh, man. Anybody identify with that at all, relate with that? So that's sort of what we're talking. I want to give you an illustration. I'm going to tell you a story uh, to illustrate this. I'm a little reluctant. It's a horrible story, but I'm going to tell you just because. This is true. This, this, this just took place this month, December 2013. There was a court case in the great state of Texas. And in this case, a 16-year-old boy was on trial for vehicular manslaughter, drunk driving, reckless endangerment, and several other related charges. At the time the incident that he was on trial for happened, he was driving his father's Ford F-350 Super Duty crew cab pickup truck. That's a big, very heavy truck. It's also a very expensive truck, by the way. I thought I'd mention that. Uh, he was, at the time, driving 70 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. There was a car parked off to the side of the road. A young woman had broken down and called a friend for help. Her friend uh, was home with her daughter, brought the daughter with her because she couldn't leave her home alone. So her friend and her daughter and her were standing by the side of the car. While, they were, while she was waiting for them to come, another young man who happened to be a youth pastor at a local church saw her and thought maybe she needed help. So he pulled over also to stop and help there. So the four of them, the young man, the woman, her friend, and the daughter were standing 
on the side of the road outside the vehicle when the 16-year-old driving the Ford pickup truck hit and killed them all. He uh, had seven people in his truck at the time. Three of them were in the bed, in the back. He hit the car that was parked there so hard, it flipped out into traffic and hit another car. And not only were the four pedestrians killed, 11 people were injured in the accident total, 11 people. Two of the, them were the people in the back of his truck were in critical condition. One of them is paralyzed and cannot walk or talk any longer because of this. The young man, uh, police and emergency personnel showed up. He was arrested, taken into custody. Three hours after the accident, given a blood test, his blood alcohol level was 0.24. That's three times the legal limit. But I would mention here, three times the legal limit for an adult. Uh, even in Texas, you can't drive drinking as a 16-year-old. Uh, but he also had Valium in his system. So he was not only drunk, he was very relaxed. Um, now, there's really no way to make this any more tragic than it is, but I want you to get the full picture. Security camera in local Walmart has video of the young man and his friend stealing cases of beer from the store earlier in the evening. Why would I tell you that? Well, here's the reason. He was convicted and found guilty. He was sentenced to probation. And he was given probation based on the defense that his lawyers presented that he was, in fact, suffering from affluenza. That he had lived such a privileged, spoiled life, he was so wealthy, he had been given so much, that he really had never come to terms with the fact that his own actions had consequences and didn't really know that what he was doing was wrong. Included in the defense, and this is just its so mind-boggling because normally these are things you would try to keep out of a court case, but his lawyers shared how his mother had five previous criminal charges against her. His father had 22 criminal charges against him. Neither one of them had ever been to jail because they had always managed to be able to buy their way out of whatever they got into. And so the judge bought it and sentenced him to probation. As part of the probation, though, they did agree to send him to a rehab, which he will be going to. Uh, the rehab is located in Newport Beach, California. Costs $450,000 a year, $37,500 a month to attend, but it does include private chefs, a personal trainer, and martial arts courses. So, um, I don't really even know how, wh where to go with that, except to say that it's very clear to me that this is real. If a guy can actually get probation on a, on a, a crime like that, this is real. This is real. It, it's at a point, and, and it's a dramatic way to illustrate the proliferation of affluence, entitlement. Um, I, in our nation, just, we have expectations for things, that things should be a certain way that we should. I don't think it's new. I'm going to be honest. I think it's very, 
gotten worse as time has progressed in the life of our country. But I think it's been a part of our country from the very beginning. I really, I really believe this is in the fabric, the DNA of America, of American thinking. This is a, I'm going to read you a quote. This is a guy named Alex, Alexis de Tocqueville, the French philosopher and sociologist from the 1800s, came to the United States. Democracy was sort of a new thing. So he wanted to study democracy. What is it like? How is it working? It seems like it's going well. This, was, this is in his book that he released, Democracy in America, 1835. Americans are extremely eager in the pursuit of immediate material pleasures and are always discontented with the position that they occupy. They think about nothing but ways of changing their lot and bettering it. For people in this frame of mind, every new way of getting wealth more quickly, every machine which lessens work, every means of diminishing the cost of production, every invention which makes pleasures easier or greater seems the most magnificent accomplishment of the human mind. One usually finds that the love of money is either the chief or a secondary motive at the bottom of everything Americans do. This gives a family likeness to all their passions and soon makes them wearisome to contemplate. 1835. I would have thought that was written like last year. Uh, it's over 100 years ago. Uh, almost 200 years ago. Uh, so I'm just saying I believe that this mindset is ingrained in our lives from the very beginning and that, and that we don't always realize that it's there. And, and, I, and I also would say this, it's, it's distinctly to me, anti-kingdom of God. It's, it's very much moving the opposite direction from the kingdom of God. What I really want us to see this morning, and I'll, I'll try to finish up quickly, is that this thinking is so predominant that I really do think that we, we don't get it. We don't understand, and that we've bought into to it in a, in a real, we've succumbed, we've given it. It's just a, you know, when you're raised in an environment, that's the environment you're raised in. You just think that's normal, and I think most of us think it's normal, and yet I, I, I think it's not normal. I think it's not normal at all. I'm going to give you one more illustration, a little brief snapshot, just life in America. From 1973 to 2004, the average house size went from 1,600 square feet to 2,400 square feet. During the same period, this, I love this, rented storage space more than tripled. 2010, Americans rented 1.9 billion, billion square feet of storage space. Just got so much stuff, we've got to find a place to put it. Average credit card debt in 2013 is $15,159. But the amazing thing about that is it's tripled since 1990. 1980, average families saved 10% of their income. 1980. It's not that long ago. 2012, average is less than 1%. 2012, the average family or person spent more on food consumed outside the home than they get on groceries consumed inside the home. In 2012, the average person or family spent more on entertainment than on gifts for family or friends, contributions to charity or churches, <coughs> or clothes. So uh, it seems to me that we really have collectively sort of bought into this. That we have become, if I can, indentured servants. We don't own our stuff, our stuff owns us. We, we work to support our stuff. And we think it's normal. We think it's normal. But it's not normal in the kingdom of God. And here, here's the thing, what's normal in the kingdom of God is to own nothing. What's normal in the kingdom of God is to own nothing. I'm just saying. 
Uh, what's normal in the kingdom of God is to not worry about those things, to seek first God's kingdom and trust that he will take care of the things that we need in our life. Now, let me, it's a big thing, and I don't want everybody to go home mad. Okay, thank you. Uh, so what I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work. We should work. The Bible says we should work. We should provide for our families. We should take care of our responsibilities, do those things. I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy life. I believe we're supposed to enjoy I believe we're supposed to live life abundantly. I believe that we're supposed to be the most joyful people, not the most stressed out people. I really do. I, I think that if, if, we, if, if, if we lived by the premises and principles that God puts forth in his kingdom, we would be filled with joy, and that would be attractive to other people. They would want that. Instead, we're as stressed out as everybody else, and so the differentiation is harder to see. So I'm not saying that we should become monks. I'm not saying we should all give everything away. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm asking is this, that maybe, maybe, maybe we would take some time. So here's the deal. We've got this week in between, it's almost over, Christmas, New Year, you've got some downtime maybe. I know people are kind of off and taking time. and Just reflect. Take a little while. Think it through. <coughs> maybe ask yourself, wh where am I in that? How, to what degree have I bought into those things? Maybe you haven't, I, and that's good. Good for you. I mean, I have, I, I think, some measure. Let's evaluate our own hearts, our own priorities. Let's really just, just self-evaluation. And, and let me say this. Can I, I'm going to, it's not a place to be judgmental. And it's, it's not necessarily appropriate to be evaluating how everybody else is doing. Okay? Can we do that? Can we just agree? Um, yeah. I mean, just, if you're thinking about, oh, yeah, so-and-so, they should do that. You know, that's. That's not what this is about. It's really about what, where am I in this? That's, I, I really, live in love. Jesus, you know, we looked at the verse last week, I think, live in love. <coughs> live in Christ and allow his character to, to fill our hearts, become more like him. Learn, I mean, Jesus, we know he, he, he died sacrificially for our behalf, but read the Gospels and, and come to the, you know, understanding that he lived sacrificially. He lived sacrificially, okay? Jesus lived his life with irrepressible generosity. He really did. It's just, it's really, really hard to do that if you're living beyond your means. It really is. Here's the thing. Resource. Time, energy, money. It's not just money, okay? Time if all of your time is spent working to pay for your stuff, you don't have any time to give. If all of your energy is spent working to pay for your stuff, you have no energy. You're, you're, you're drained. At the end of the day, at the end of the week, you got nothing to give because you're wiped out. And, and money, I mean, if you're in debt up to your eyeballs, it's really hard to be generous. It's really hard to be generous. It really, really, really is. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to close in three minutes. I'm going to give you five, I think, practical ways that we can begin to really evaluate our own lives and take a look at some of this and say, hey, you know, is there things I could do differently? First one, you're going to love this. Wake up and smell the coffee. I've had a lot of coffee today. 
all I'm saying is, if you don't recognize this, I think most of you do. You seem to look fairly affirmative this morning. Um, if you don't recognize that there are things about our culture that are perceived to be n- normal, and, and in fact, actually advocated. I mean, you know, the whole thing, I, I, Christmas, you got to spend more money. The economy's not doing well, so we really need to all go out and buy more stuff. And they tell us, oh, it wasn't a great year. People spent 13% more than they did last year, but what, we're really hoping that they would spend even more than that. Uh, we're, we're encouraged towards some things that they seem normal. I just, just realize that's not normal. That's not normal. Okay, that's all I'm saying, saying there. Um, evaluate based on the kingdom of God. Look, you want to do something crazy? Do a little word study on money. Just do it. Uh, look at what the Bible has to say about money. It will. It's very interesting. It's, there's a, it's got a lot to say about money, but it might not be what you think. I mean, there's a lot there about money. How the role money plays in our life, what it's for, how it's used. I think you would be uh, enlightened a little bit to do that. Okay, second, identify consumerism as idolatry. It's not bad to buy something. It's not bad to have something. It's not bad to want something you want. Not, just, but the whole idea that I've got to have it, my life is not complete if I don't get this thing. You know, that um, idolatry is the first sin mentioned, I think, the number one sin in the Bible, the Old Testament. <coughs> idols were little statues. We don't worship little statues. That's silly. But we have idols. So just figure that out. Just, just identify consumerism as idolatry. It is, and we've got to not buy into it. Make time for relationship with God. If you, you know, if you don't have a real relationship with God, these things will never become clear to you. The only, it's the only way to do it. So you've got to spend some time thinking about Him, praying, worshiping, um, contemplating, reading. Just, just reflecting on who God is, what life with Him means, times with Him. Be in community. Um, I, I just, you can't do it by yourself. You'll never make it alone. You, you just can't. Everything is better together. Isn't that a song? Everything's better together. It really is. It really, really is. Encouragement, support comes from being around like-minded people. So I just think you need to find a way to, to make space for not only God, but other Christians in your life, be in community. F- finally, last thing, and we'll close. Discover the joy of generosity. Just, it really is. It's joyful to give. It really is. You know, it's better to give than receive. It's not just better. It's it's really more fun. It's more fun. It's more joyful. It, it really, it, it's there, there's something about giving extravagantly, and see what happens. I just challenge you in your life when you do that. It's it, we focus so much on you know, giving to someone what it means to give to someone. But I, I would just say, see what happens in your own life when you give. And and let God work in you and through you in that way. Okay? Let's stand. Thanks, guys. You're, you're so kind. Nobody threw anything at me. No fruit. <laughs>